And we are in Luke, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Bible anyone? Just raise your hand, we'll have someone running right at you. There's one in there in the back. We not only like to hear the Word of God, we like to have it right in front of us and see it, let it sink in. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that every time we open your word, there is a message for us. Lord, wherever we are, literally in the world, whatever day, whatever time, Father, the throne of grace has been opened to us by the blood of Christ. But Lord, there is something special that happens when we gather together. Your word says when two or three are gathered together, you're there and Lord, we've come to receive from you, to be refreshed by your word, encouraged, reminded, rebuked, lifted up, Lord, uh, in, in a way that is not proud, but that is, uh, empowers us to serve you by your spirit, Lord. Please do that work by your spirit this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, by the way, every, the first Tuesday of each month, I go out west of Boston to, there's a wilderness area out there, the Dover Woods, we go prayer and fasting, we're going this Tuesday, if you'd like to come along, uh, please let me know, we leave from my house about 10 o'clock, we're out for about five hours, and also one other announcement, it just occurred to me, this Wednesday, we have a home Bible study. This is not in the announcements or the bulletins. We're starting up a home Bible study in Dorchester. I will be teaching it myself. It's over there right off uh, Blue Hill Avenue on Columbia Road, right at the very beginning there, and we're excited about that. We're going to be going through the book of John. So if you're interested in more information about that, let me know. Okay, the book of Luke. So a number of years ago at Calvary Chapel here, we went through Matthew. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the rest of the Bible up to Revelation is more about, okay, now we've, we know, we have the information about Jesus. How then do we live? And then Revelation is a uh, a revelation to John made about the end times, about Jesus' return. And the, but the first four books, really, they're, they're, they've been placed by the Holy Spirit in the Bible 
to teach us about the life of Christ. So after we finished Matthew a few years ago, we went into 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then we went to Hebrews, then we went to James, and I really believe the Lord is calling us back to the Gospels once again, the focus on the life of Jesus Christ. So we'll be in the book of Luke. You know, I think about the church in the United States of America. So many scurrying about trying to come up with ideas how to grow the church, this program, you know, that revival meeting, how do we uh, get culturally relevant, how do we maximize the use of technology, how do we, what do we need to do and say is to make our faith uh, less offensive, how do we draw people in? You know, the church doesn't need any of that. What the church needs is to go deep into the Word of God, into a study of Jesus Christ, and as we see Him and get to know Him and are able to meditate upon Him, just the the words of this book, the book of Luke, if you look carefully into the words of this book, the book of Luke goes into great detail of the life of Jesus Christ. You will long to be like Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you will want to become one with him. And then the fruit will start multiplying from your life. That is what the church needs in this country. Not all this running about. We talked to a few weeks ago about it. Yeah, a chicken with its head's cu- head cut off. This is what the church looks like. The, you know, it's separated from the head. Lots of activity. You know, chickens run around without their head. But they're not connected to the head. And, and so nothing better to connect us to the head than to, uh, on a Sunday morning as a church family, get into this book, The Life of Christ. So it's actually a letter, as you may have noticed, a letter to a man named Theophilus. Some of you pregnant women out there, we have a few. Hey, Theophilus. Sounds like penicillin or one of those things, but so maybe you better not name your kid Theophilus. But anyway, it's a letter to Theophilus. Luke says, it seemed good to me, verse 3, to write to you an orderly account most excellent Theophilus. So very little known is known about this guy. He's a government official he, or a wealthy man. We know that much because he's addressed as most excellent. That's how you address royalty or a very prominent person. Of course, Bible commentators, they can't resist trying to come up with theories about who this really is. And uh, there's one really interesting theory that he's a slave, Uh, Rather, Luke is a slave, and Theophilus owns Luke. Because during the time of the Roman Empire, people, uh, oftentimes people owned their doctor. Their doctor was a slave. Imagine owning your doctor. I think their bedside manner would get a little better, you know, if we owned them. But but, um, so the the idea is that, that Theophilus... Uh, It may have been Luke's master, but Theophilus gave his life to Christ and released Luke to the service of the Apostle Paul, and 
Remember, Luke was Paul's traveling companion. Paul calls him the beloved uh, uh, f- uh, physician. Paul had a number of ail- ailments, and he actually had to have a personal doctor travel with him. But anyway, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who Theophilus is. But what's important is this wonderful picture presented to us in this greeting. You have Luke, this physician, preparing this incredibly meticulous, detailed account of the life of Christ for this man, Theophilus. And Luke, being a doctor, he goes into great detail. Just look at verse 5. He says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Just flip real quick to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Just notice the detail here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. This census would take place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Just go quickly to chapter 3. Look at this verse. Verse 1, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of um, Ituria, and the region of Traconitus, and Lysimus, tetrarch of Abilene. But anyway, this kind of detail, you don't see that, really, in any other letter book in the New Testament. And that's something that's very rich about this uh, book here. And, and so he, he writes this letter. It's in a very long letter uh, because he wants this man, Theophilus, to what? Verse 4, he wants, he's writing it so that he may know the certainty of the things in which he was instructed. So don't let anyone convince you concerning the truth of the Bible that you can't be certain of what you believe. How can you really be certain? How can you really know? You know, we hear that, right? Luke says, I'm writing these things so that you may know for certain. John says the same thing, a similar thing in verse 1 John. He says, these things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. We ask people all the time when we go out on Saturday nights, do you know if you're going to heaven? Well, how can you really know? Well, the Bible says this. These things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's why these things were written down by the Holy Spirit through eyewitnesses. And so Luke is not suggesting that, you know, after you read this letter, you'll have a perfect understanding of everything in the Bible. But what he is saying is this. Listen, Theophilus. There's been a lot swirling around about what Jesus did and who he is. Some of, that, some of it is a, a little strange. And, and so uh, everyone seems to have their own opinion about who Jesus is. So Theophilus, I've carefully interviewed eyewitnesses, those who were with Jesus, and I have written down in an orderly fashion everything I heard so that you can know for certain what happened with Jesus, how it happened, and when it happened. So that's why he says in verse 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things. You know, times really haven't changed. There are a lot of people saying a lot of different things about Jesus. Everyone seems to have their own opinion. One of the things that drove me to, to become a Christian when I was in my early 20s was my own opinion about him changed every six months. 
And if there's such a thing as truth, how can truth change every six months? And, 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 you know, there are a lot of people saying a lot of things, people taking the life and teaching of Jesus, forming and fashioning uh, their, uh, you know, whatever, you know, Jesus to be whatever their lifestyle, to fit their lifestyle or, or whatever their, their views of and their own desires. So that's why we emphasize so much getting in the Word of God. But that's why these, the Word of God was written in the first place, as we see from Luke, and wonderful detail that he provides. By the way, you know, Bible critics from time to time have taken aim at Luke. For example, we just read about Quirinius in chapter 2. It says the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. They mocked that. They said there was no record of anyone by that name. And, you know, this happens over and over again. But then, you know, someone stumbles upon something and and, and they all go off to their next subject because they realize there really was a Quirinius. Maybe we should take this book more seriously. And, and so very reliable source. Uh, of course, the whole Bible is uh, reliable. It's, it's been written by the Holy Spirit. But here you have great detail, a man who was given to detail. And so I have, think there's every reason to believe that this guy, the most excellent Theophilus, really, really wanted to receive this letter. He really, he knew it was coming. He wanted to get his hands on it. And it says in verse 4 there, it says Luke was writing to him that he may know the certainty of those things in which he had been instructed. So Luke was not writing to Theophilus about something Theophilus had never heard about. He had already been instructed about Jesus, this Theophilus. But apparently he hungered and he thirsted for more. You know, this letter is the longest book or letter in the New Testament. 19,500 words. I didn't count them personally. I'm relying on someone else for that. But it's longer than the book of Matthew. Matthew has more chapters, but this has more words, actually. And, and I got to tell you, I am sure that Luke didn't wake up one morning and say to himself, hmm, you know, I wonder what Theophilus is up to. I remember he seemed sort of interested in Jesus. I think I'll write him, sit down and write him a 19,500-word letter just to describe to him who Jesus is. No, he knew. He, he knew that about this guy and, and that he, he wanted to receive this and um, he, he, he knew that Theophilus would cherish receiving this letter and he would be eating up every word. So the first four verses are a greeting. Verse 5, he actually begins the account. He says again, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Verse 5. A certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So verse 6 says, Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous before God. They walked in all the commandments and were blameless before the Lord, it says. 
So we know with what's coming up next, most of us know Zacharias and Elizabeth, they would be chosen by the Lord to raise up John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, among those born of women, there was no greater prophet than he. So what I want you to understand is these two, Elizabeth and Zacharias, were incredibly obscure. They're a priest. They're a one of 20,000. And it says there, but they're walking blameless before the Lord. And you know, sometimes you get into a dark place in your life, and you may be there this morning where you're, you're thinking to yourself, I'm walking close to the Lord. I'm being obedient to him. I'm keeping my life pure. I'm dying to my flesh. But Lord, does it even matter? Is my life counting for anything? Is it doing any good? Psalm 73, the psalmist looks around the world. Everyone seems to be prospering, and he cries out, Surely I have kept my heart pure in vain. What's the point? Is anyone even noticing? What do we learn from this chapter? There is someone noticing, right? Who is it? God. God is noticing. Never, ever forget that. The Lord takes note. Verse 6, they were righteous before God. In such a way that they were, they were distinct. Actually, at the time, according to tradition, because Elizabeth could not have babies, according to the tradition, Zacharias had the right to divorce her. Just was how things were at the time. Tradition. Tradition kills. That's one of them. But he didn't do that. Obviously, the Lord is in control here. Interesting that by design, by God's design, she was barren. And so they're blameless. They're righteous, but they're obscure. But brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. God takes note. Some of you today, you're starting college. You'll be surrounded by many who are living a lifestyle. And there, there will be an appearance, an appearance, I underline, underscore the word appearance, that they're thriving in it. And you'll find yourself from time to time isolated, asking yourself the same thing. What's the point? Is this all worth it? You bet it is. You bet it is your chances of winning that bet are 100%. God takes note. The Bible promises you invest your life in the Lord, you will reap a harvest, a harvest of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So verse 8, let's continue. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, I never knew this, but as I studied this, I I found out that more likely than not, this was the only time in his whole life that he had ever done this. He's probably in his 80s now. There were so many priests by this time. There's about, again, about 20,000 of them. This may be the only time he was chosen to do that. It says, um, 
in verse 10, it says, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So you students of the Old Testament may recognize this. According to Old Testament law, Exodus 30, every morning, every night, the priest goes in and offers incense. Remember that everything in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, it's a foreshadowing or it represents a, a function or the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the, uh, Jesus is always before the throne of God interceding for us praying for us, always and ever. That's what the book of Hebrews says. I believe it also says that in, in, in First or Second Corinthians. And here, it, 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 just like the incense represents in the Bible the, the, the prayers of the saints. And so according to Old Testament law, there had to be always, without ceasing, in the tabernacle and temple, the incense, day and night. And so Zacharias is here, he's in the holy place in the temple, and, and he's offering up incense. Verse 11 says this, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So Zacharias was like, what do you mean my prayer was heard? I prayed that 40 years ago. (laughs) You know, what prayer are you talking about? The Bible says when we pray to the Lord, we've made a deposit, and we may forget about the deposit, but there's payback, and God has not forgotten. Forty years, we read this and cry out, please, Lord, not me, not wait 40 years, please, no, 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 no. From what we read it here, it appears that Zacharias has probably forgotten completely about this prayer, and with good reason, probably. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now let's pause and not miss this. It's not only, there's an application here for you. God has a purpose for you. He's so involved in your life, even in your mother's womb. I love Jeremiah chapter 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So even before the womb. And then David says, for you formed my, he's talking to God here, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so here we just have a picture of that. The Lord has, has been preparing John the Baptist from the time he was conceived here. Verse 15. Gabriel is continuing. He's talking to Zechariah. Zechariah is probably freaking out. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist joins Samuel and Samson uh, in the Old Testament who are under uh, a lifetime Nazarene vow, no wine, no strong drink, no haircuts. 
And you may read this passage and say, what possible relevance does John the Baptist's life have with mine? I mean, the guy wore camel skins, ate locusts, and, you know, whatever. Well, listen, a whole lot. Although you're not prohibited from drinking wine, Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're all in that together. John the Baptist, Samson, <laughs> uh, Samuel, and, and every believer today. John here, verse 15 says, he was filled from the, with the Holy Spirit from birth. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. I repeat here. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Zechariah could not possibly have imagined how true this statement would become. Matthew chapter 3 says, all of Judea, all of Judea came out to John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist do for these people? He turned them to the Lord. He prepared the way of the Lord, just as uh, the prophets had said uh, he would. And in John chapter 1 verse 29, as Jesus was approaching John the Baptist, what did John declare? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in verse 16, again it says, uh, Zechariah has been told about his son John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. John the Baptist turned the people to the way, the only way, the way that graciously was provided by God for their sin to be taken away. And and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin requires judgment. If Jesus doesn't take away your sin, the Bible says God's judgment remains upon you. There is no hope of heaven for you. Heaven is that good. It's that pure. It's that wonderful. God is that holy. That your sin has to be taken away. And John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And he pointed everyone to Jesus and away from him. Don't look at me. They said, who are you? It doesn't matter who I am. Look at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so uh, verse uh, 17, he continues. He says, he, speaking of John the Baptist, will also go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now verse 17, Gabriel there quotes a very interesting passage there from the Old Testament. Anyone know where he's quoting from there? Anybody? The very last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, the very last verse of the Old Testament. Gabriel is speaking into Zechariah's life, prophesying about his son. Now remember, Malachi, the last prophet, he he lived 400 years before this time. No prophet had really heard from the Lord in 400 years. And now Gabriel's making a statement here by quoting this verse. You know, it is said of the Old Testament that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament 
revealed. And so, and, and so what Gabriel's saying here is all that was written in the Old Testament, all the prophecy, all that was to be fulfilled about the Son of God, the Messiah, it's all been concealed. It is about to be revealed. Wow. So how does Zechariah respond to this? Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, so how shall I know this? What do you mean, Zechariah? How shall I know this? You have the angel Gabriel before you. What do you mean? Well, you know, I've, I've had experiences with angels before. Some of them pull my leg. You know, what's he, what's, you know, what's he thinking here? And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. I'm not Ralph. I'm not Bill. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and who was sent to you to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Here I am trying to give you good news, and I know you don't meet up with someone like me every day, and I'm here trying to tell you something good. It's amazing when the Lord comes in and he tries to, us to tell us something good. Like, oh, no, that can't be true. I'm just not going to believe that. I need a sign. Verse 20, but behold, you will be mute, meaning you're not going to be able to talk and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, I think there's just a, a great, great message here for, for you and for me. What did it say again in verse 6 about Zechariah? Zechariah. Actually, Zechariah. It says again in verse 6, he was righteous. He walked blameless before the Lord. It says this of him. And the Lord, you know, took note of his life because the way, his, the distinct behavior, the, the, the distinct lifestyle that, that he had. But here you have a righteous, blameless man, but a root of unbelief had been working its way into his heart. Man, there's an important warning for, for us here. I know there is for me. You can be walking with the Lord, enjoying Him, obeying Him. You can be an example of godliness to everyone around you, but at the same time, because of a lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, there can be a root of unbelief working its way into your heart, eating away inside, and, and, you know, until the Lord exposes it. And yeah, I'll tell you a little information, probably way more than you'll want to know. about traveling to places like this. You know, you know we go to Haiti a couple times a year. We have an orphanage down there. And I go down a couple times a year, and like clockwork on day five, man, a stick of dynamite goes off inside my stomach. I, I'm sorry, uh, you know, there is an application here. Um, and, 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 you know, in, and so what I do um, in the middle, uh, what I do is I always take down, oh boy, I take down my Cipro Flaxen, which is, 
an antibiotic for uh, travelers, diarrhea. Um, and, and, you know, sometime I'll just pop that pill and, you know, I'm, I'm A-OK after about three or four hours. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, on my second night in China, I just woke up in a cold sweat. I forgot my Cipro. And now, I just want to give you a picture of what happens when we go to Haiti or Peru. Surge down there and Brian and Peru, they don't let us go to any roadside stands. You can't go to those places. You'll immediately get sick. That's all we had in China. And so I'm looking at these places on just on the road, and, and they're preparing our food, and I'm just like, you know, going like this, you know, and oh, Lord, this is, this is, this is really bad. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I really beca- became convicted, you know, what are you trusting in? And, and we went up to, uh, again, one of these villages, and um, these people are preparing us a meal, and they're, you know, slaughtering chickens, and there's literally flies all around, and 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 uh, and, and they 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 they're, they're make they put all these bowls in front of us, and in China, everyone shares from the same dish, which you really have to get used to. That's a whole other issue, but but uh, and I'm saying to myself, okay, I have a plan. I'm only going to have the rice. I'm just going to have the rice. So I just fill up my bowl with rice, you know, and all of a sudden, the lady uh, next to me, she's picking up with her chopsticks, and she just starts putting all this stuff. Some of it's pure fat. I mean, they like pure fat. I, I guess it gives them energy. And they're putting it in front of me, and I'm like, oh, this is just awful. And then a guy, then a guy comes in with moonshine. Moonshine. I mean, you can smell it from like five yards away, and I'm like, I have an idea. I'll just drink that. It'll kill everything that's bad in my stomach. <laughs> I, but, but, but honestly, I, 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 you know, not that that would never be, uh, you know, appropriate, but I, I just thought, I'm trusting in moonshine and not in the Lord. I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with me here? And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I really honestly did go to the Lord in prayer about this. And, and the problem is, is that there's nothing wrong with Cipro or medication, but do we hold, you know, that prescription bottle? Do we hold it like this, you know, wherever we go? Or are we sort of holding it in our palm with, with our hand, not clenched, but with our hand like this? What are we trusting in? And if we remove those things, is there any trust left for the Lord? And, you know, th- th- you know I-, I was saved. Uh, I-, I first gave my life to the Lord when I was 21. I was... Um, but then, it, it, I'm telling you, I, I, I went into a law, you know, three-year major backslide thing immediately after first giving my life to him. And then I came back to the Lord. I had some guy who really took an interest in me. I began reading the Word of God. And, and early on, I felt the Lord, the Lord tell me, you're not going to backslide ever again for the rest of your life. It's because that's not my will for any Christian's life. It becomes a theology in some churches. Every Christian, you know, backslide about every two years. He goes, no, not you. And praise the Lord, you know. Not that I don't stumble and fall, I do, but, but, but you know, I've been growing and, and getting to know the Lord, and, 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 and there's just been fruit in my life, and I, I've appreciated that so much. But man, oh man, can someone think come in the back door in unbelief 
just start having its way. I mean, here, here you have a guy, Zacharias, he, an angel Gabriel appears in front of him. And all of a sudden, he's overcome with unbelief. Oh, that God would expose the unbelief in our hearts. Because you know what? When he was in there, freaking out, he was mute, he couldn't speak, the people were outside waiting for him. Now, you know from the book of Numbers, those of you who know uh, the Old Testament, that what does the priest do after they get out from their duties? What do they do? The Levitical blessing, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord uh, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And it says there in... um, what verse is it? It's, it says that all the, verse 11, or verse 10, all the multitude was waiting. It's like, where's this guy? We want to be blessed. When there's unbelief in your heart, it will prevent you from blessing God's people. It will, it will hold it up. It will delay it. It will, it will corrupt it. It will, it will affect profoundly your ministry. And so, and so just the danger of unbelief here. It, it says in verse 21, it says, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. And so this great work is is beginning here. You know, uh, Luke had interviewed people, he had interviewed eyewitnesses, and, and this was the beginning. Remember verse 1 of this, uh, of this chapter says, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to, and set to uh, a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. And so, which have been fulfilled? In what way? Well, the Old Testament predicted, and Luke's about to tell him, Theophilus, what has been fulfilled. And this was the beginning in the Old Testament. Throughout the prophets, it says, there will be someone who proceeds, who comes before the Messiah and says, this is him. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He is the one who is going to be the Savior of the world. And so, um, wow, I just love the way this is introduced here. It's giving us the setting. Next week, um, we'll be uh, reading about how Mary also was visited uh, by an angel. And and how, how it's so awesome how the Lord just works things out in spite of our shortcomings, right? In, in spite of Zacharias' uh, shortcomings. He's, he's working things out. Uh, praise the Lord that God is not beholding to, to man and his foibles. Uh, he's, he's bringing all this to fruition. So exciting when we look into the life of Jesus Christ and we carefully reflect and meditate upon him. We will long to be like him. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, in the book of Luke. Okay, we'll pick up there uh, in verse 26 next week. Why don't the worship team come up? We're going to close with a, a worship uh, song. Let's, let's just uh, pray as the worship team comes up. Father, I, 
I thank you so much for this. Your word, Lord. How there's so many verses, uh, rather there's so many voices out there, Lord. Just a multitude of voices in the world. And how we too need to know with certainty the things which in which we have been instructed, Lord. And Father, we, we pray as we get, go through this book, as we get into your word, Lord, that you will continue to establish our faith, that we have a defense for what we believe, but we just, that, that there's also, we have a peace in what we believe, Lord knowing what your, your, your truth is, that you would put all the pieces of the puzzle together, that, Lord, that uh, what has been concealed will be completely revealed, and, and, and you, Lord, the light of the world, will make it known to us. And, Lord, we, we want to be used. We praise you, Lord, for your grace, how you use us in spite of our stumblings, our failings. But, Lord, that notwithstanding, expose in our heart anything that is hindering us from blessing you, from blessing those around us, from being a blessing to people. Father, please do that work in our lives. Lord, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, by the way, college students, there's